0: Well, good morning, Malaysia. Good morning, IBCBI. It's a a pleasure to be back with you this morning. I trust that you're keeping well and um, we as a family continue to pray for you back in Malaysia Um, and that, of course, you would be able to return to to some sense of normality in the not-too-distant future. For things over here in uh, Aberdeen in the UK, we are still under um, lockdown, but we've been able to enjoy that recently um, with the arrival of our uh, fourth child, uh, Lachlan Joel, who was born uh, just around four weeks ago today. So mummy and baby are keeping well, and we really appreciate all of the the prayers and the well wishes um, upon his arrival, and we're enjoying uh, settling in as a family of six. this Sunday we are going to conclude our studies from the Book of Hebrews, and perhaps the the only good thing about lockdown has been the opportunity for us here in the UK to get to see the sermons each week on video, and we've enjoyed um, both learning and hearing um, the teaching from from Joe It's Almost allowed us to to be part of two church families during the last year or so, and we've really um, just enjoyed that opportunity to. to to worship with you and to to hear um, what God's been been saying to us in Malaysia. Um, Sam, out of the the goodness of his heart, has very kindly kept the longest passage um, of this book for me to try and handle. Um, So please forgive me if I don't land where you think I'm going to or indeed should today, but I'm going to try my best to to pick up on what I think is the, the central thread that runs through this passage. We're going to be reading from Hebrews 12 and also from Hebrews 13. I dropped a message into the, the church WhatsApp group asking you to, to read it this week. Um, it's a very lengthy passage and I will read it in full. And It would be very helpful if you had your, your Bible open and if you could read it uh, along with me in parallel. There is a lot in this uh, section of, of Scripture, a lot of, um, of content. And um, it's hard to do it fully justice, Um, but we'll have a go at it anyway. I'm going to be reading from the ESV translation, and we're going to begin um, at verse 14 of uh, chapter 12, which is exactly where Josh finished up last week. That's verse 14 of chapter 12, and we're going to read through to the end of chapter 13. It says this, verse 14, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Verse 18, for you have not come to what may be touched a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it will be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking, verse 25, for if they did not escape when they refused him and warned them on the earth, much less will they escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he is promised. Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. That phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of the things that are shaken. That is, the things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Verse 1, chapter 13. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you are also in the body. Let marriage be held in honour among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from love of money, and be content with what you have. For he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same today, yesterday and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by fools, which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat for the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore. Let us go into him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and share what you have, for sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we have to be sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honourably in all things. I urge that the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored back to you, and then the benediction. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good, that you will do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to him be glory forever and amen. And then Paul rounds it off with, I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this opportunity to to gather again um, under your name, albeit maybe from the comfort of our own home, to ponder your word, to to meditate upon your scripture, to sing praises to you, to, to, to gather in prayer, to, to think of the things of you. Lord, we pray that you would teach us this morning. We pray that you would speak to our minds and that you would influence our hearts. Father, we pray that we would come to a deeper and a keener and a better understanding of who you are and Lord that we would understand your your goodness and your grace and from that Lord that we would be encouraged to behave in a way that is glorifying and honouring to you in your precious son's name. Amen. If you were to try and sum up the beat Book of Hebrews in one sentence and what that means for us, we would perhaps say something like this. The author wrote this book to give us truths about God, such that we would ensure that we have the right way of thinking, in order for us to go about the right way of doing, such that we would avoid the pitfalls of the wrong ways of doing. And if we were to, to look at our text that we've just read from Hebrews 12 and 13 through that lens, we can see that narrative flow. And therefore, as we consider our passage this morning, I would like us to try and do it under two themes. The theme of right thinking or or the theme of right knowing and also the theme of right doing. And then try and conclude with showing how combining both of these themes, the theme of right knowing and the theme of right doing, are necessary in order for us to really glorify the name of Jesus. Let us begin with right knowing. Our section of text opens up with some practical instructions. It tells us to strive for peace, to seek out holiness, and to ensure that we don't fall into a trap of being bitter about things, which can ultimately lead to the destruction of one's soul and their ability to realise God's grace. It goes on further, telling us to to remain sexually pure, and it pleads for us not to be unholy. And then backs this up with this this real example from the earliest chapters of mankind, where it highlights this the story of Esau and how he forgoes his birthright for one short temporal pleasure. There is a lot of content here, there is a lot of detail, there is a a lot of weight behind each practical instruction. And each instruction has the potential of eternal consequences. Eternal consequences for the person who doesn't know or realise the love of Jesus. The love of a divine saviour. And this is what is the first and most important right kind of knowing. The knowing of Jesus, the knowing of a saviour. The author of the Hebrews highlights this to us here by, by taking this example of Esau and contrasting Old Testament reality at Mount Sinai in verses 18 through 21 with the Christian reality on this side of the cross that we can see in verses 22 through 24. You see, verse verse 18 begins with for in the ESV translation or in the NIV translation with the word because. And it says for or because. Because this is how it was. Esau, it says, found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. He was rejected and not able to inherit the blessing. Why? Because he lived. Under the Old Testament parameters. It says this, verse 18 For you have not come to what may be touched, this is where Esau was at, a blazing fire, and darkness, and gloom, and a tempest. And the sound of a trumpet, and a voice whose word made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them, for they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, it was so terrifying that Moses said, it. In other words, the experience there was one of fearful divine holiness without a mediator, without a go-between, without Jesus. And it was with a voice so terrible that the people begged that the voice would stop. And then the writer goes on to contrast this with the Christian reality since the cross of Jesus. In verses 22 through to 24, it says this, but you have come to Mount Zion. You haven't gone to Mount Sinai, you've come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels and festival gathering, and to the, the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all the spirits of the right. the mediator of a new covenant and sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of the You see, you know, when we come to know Jesus, when we come to know his grace, metaphorically we come to that heavenly city. The heavenly city where the heavenly assembly rejoice at the soul that is saved for the Lord a heavenly city where we find God, the divine judge, but where we most importantly find Jesus, the mediator, the mediator of a new covenant, whose blood shed for our sins is the main voice that we hear. This is the most explicit difference or contrast between the two experiences. The fact that at Mount Sinai in the Old Testament, verses 18 through 20, that God was speaking such that the people begged, no more, no more, verse 19. Then in Christians' field, at Mount Zion, the voice that we hear is the voice of the sprinkled blood of a mediator. We come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood which speaks. What does the blood say? The blood says, I love you, I forgive you, I purchase you, I cleanse you, I protect you, I keep you, I will always be there for you. Friends and church, do we know Jesus? Do we appreciate that when we mess up, we don't have to be like the Jews who approach God in fear and trembling? But we can now go boldly to his throne and sit at his feet and find unconditional forgiveness because of what Jesus has mediated for us at the cross. Because of the word that the sprinkled blood of Jesus speaks. Such grace, such mercy, such goodness, that when we meditate upon it, it's hard to take it in. There's a song um, written by the singer-songwriter Travis Curtis, which, which captures this in a hymn when he says this. The blood of Jesus speaks for me. Be still, my soul, redeeming love. Out of the dust of Calvary is rising to the throne above. There is no vengeance in his cry. While it is finished, fills the sky. Forgiveness is the final plea. The blood of Jesus speaks for me. My heart can barely take it in. He pardons all my guilty stains. Surrender all my shame to him. He breaks the curse of every chain. My sin is great, but greater still, the boundless grace his heart reveals, a mercy deeper than the sea. The blood of Jesus speaks for me. Know, friends, the love of Jesus. Know, too, that we should be grateful if we choose, that we should be fearful if we choose to refuse him, whose blood speaks a better word. Verse 25, see that you do not refuse him who is speaking, for if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. God spoke from the blood of Abel spilled by his his brother Esau on the ground. God then spoke by angels and then by Moses he spoke at Mount Sinai. Then he speaks on person on earth. And now he speaks, he warns from heaven above. Verse tw- 25 tells us that he now speaks from a higher and more glorious seat and throne. Not from, from Mount Sinai, which was on earth, but from heaven. And he speaks to us through, through his word, through, through his inspired word, through the Bible, through his, through his Holy Spirit. He speaks to us not new things but by his Spirit speaks the same words home to our very conscience. He speaks now more powerfully and more effectively to us as hear, hearers than perhaps ever before. So don't not listen to him. Don't be like what my two daughters are at the moment when I'm trying to, to give them words of right instruction, when they, when they cover their ears and pretend to be indifferent to my commands. Which for me are born out of a place of love and tender instruction. Here we have the writer telling us that we can't escape or reject Jesus' blood speaking to us without eternal consequences. That is, don't be like Esau. Don't fail to obtain the precious grace that speaks to you in the blood of Jesus, the precious. Suffering substitute the love of God, the great saviour and the sweetness that his forgiveness offers. Know the love of Jesus. Know that we shouldn't refuse him. And then the third knowing thing I think we get from here is that he has promised us an eternal kingdom. Verses 26 through 29 say this. But now he has promised yes, Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. That phrase yet once more indicates the removal of the things shaken, that is the things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for God is our consuming fire. This verse is is a direct quote from the Old Testament from Haggai 2 and verse 6 where it says this, For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. This means that God is going to do what John describes in Revelation 6 where he says that God will take the sky as if it was a fig tree with untimely figs and shake the trunk, and as the figs come down it's like the whole universe collapsing, all the stars fall out of heaven like figs dropping off a tree, and then he says the heavens are going to roll up like a scroll, like you've just pulled out a tape measure and let go and it retracts on itself or recoils on itself, they're just going to roll up like a scroll, just like that God is going to one day close out the universe. And if you think it was serious to reject him at Mount Sinai in judgment, you can imagine what it's going to be when God comes down in fury at the end of the day. He's going to wipe out the entire universe, leaving only those things which are eternal. He's going to remove everything that is made. The only thing which will stand And remain will be the things that he chooses. What are these things that cannot be shaken? Well, these are the eternal truths that are yours in Christ. They cannot be shaken. Everything else is going to fall apart in this world when the judgment of God comes screaming out of heaven. And only the eternal Things meant for heaven will remain. This is perhaps one of the sternest warnings in the Bible. It's certainly, in my opinion, the sternest warning in the book of Hebrews. The author is saying, and you have to remember that in the context that he's speaking, the audience would include Jews. And he's saying this People, you've come all the way to the edge. Don't go back to Judaism, don't go back to Sinai. Don't go back to your way of trying to make propitiation for your own sins. If you think things were bad then, if you're still stuck there when he comes again, if you're trying to make up for your own inadequacy, then you're going to end up with damnation in a way that the world has never dreamed feasible. And so you have a choice. You come to Sinai, to Mount Sinai, or you come to Mount Zion. The choice is yours. You stand warned, beloved. You're either going to face God in the blackness and terror of Mount Sinai with only your works, and there you'll be consumed, or you come by grace to God at Zion, pleading the blood of Jesus. And you find grace and you find peace and you find safety and you find worship and you find fellowship and you find the presence of a loving God and you find Jesus Christ and you find forgiveness. It is all there. That's the promise. And we need to know that promise. Christ is coming back again and on his return it is final. Will we stand in the blood of Christ or will we seek refuge in the things of man that will be shaken to the core? We need the right kind of knowing. We need to know that he is love. We need to know That we shouldn't refuse him. And we need to know that he is true to his eternal promises. And this right kind of knowing should transform us into applying this right kind of doing. When we reach chapter 13, it's it's like the rest of Hebrews. It's full of weighty texts, such that you could write a sermon on the shortest number of verses. But we're going to try and capture the essence of this chapter under that theme of right kind of doing. As we read through through the verses earlier, you'll have noticed that it is wise instruction after wise instruction, almost Proverbs-like in its format, as it seeks to encompass all the hallmarks of good, practical Christian living, as well as emphasising some of the many pitfalls of the human heart. Chapter 13 starts with this instruction to love one another, then, with a practical direction to be hospitable, and a call to pray for those who suffer for the gospel, in verses three, and then reiterated in verse eighteen, to understand their sufferings as our suffering because we're all one body. That's then followed by an instruction to keep one body's pu- body to keep one's physical body pure, to stay away from from sexual immorality and from adultery. Then a reminder. That our sustenance comes from the Lord and this is an instruction that we should not be lured in by the love of money or material things. We are to remember also to pray and submit to our leaders and our elders, verse 7 and 17. We are to grow in spiritual maturity. We are to be mindful that God is the same from age to age, yesterday, today and forevermore. Our culture and our context changes. Our God and His promises and statutes remain. A warning, I think, to ensure that we don't compromise Jesus for the voice of popular culture. And then a second warning to ensure that we don't let the voices from supposedly within the church to detract from Jesus, any voices of legalism or ceremony that we would have us try and be dictated around our understanding of Jesus, we are to be aware of these false teachers and we are to remember to stand on peace rather rather than on any fanciful teachings of man. There's a lot of doing in this section. There's a lot of loving, there's a lot of praying, of protecting, of desiring, of shielding, of growing and of avoiding those like false teachers. And they're all sandwiched between this, this truths of knowing Jesus, detailed in chapter 12. And then again in the benedictory section here of chapter 13, we, we have the sprinkled blood of Jesus that speaks a better word for us in chapter 12. And then here again in verse 20 of chapter 13, we have the author re-emphasising that point. It is by the blood of the eternal covenant, it says that we are equipped to do all this right kind of doing. We need right knowing to make right doing. This is what it says. And in this response to this, I think we have two different challenges depending on what category you would identify with. There's category one, which is that you do some of the right doing, but you don't, know the knowing. This is an important distinction and it's something very prevalent, at least in the Western church. There is an assumption that good works and behaviours resembling religion make a person a Christian. They don't. Salvation is based on faith alone. Faith is a result of God's grace to us through Jesus and it's upon that faith that we are saved. But faith, of course, is holistic in the sense that we embrace the truth with our minds, our heart and our will. And that our faith will be expressed both through our actions, or works, and also by our public declaration of our heartfelt beliefs. Friends, don't rely on ever good works to get you through. We need the right kind of knowing to inform the right kind of doing. And then there's category two. This is the, the place where I identify with more. You know the knowing, but it doesn't always lead to the doing. This is personally my biggest challenge. When I was reading through the content of chapter 13, there are so many elements of those, those practices and actions that I know that I claim to be valuable and I claim to know. Yet for some reason I do them with too little frequency. And therefore it begs the question if I really know how deep God's love is for me, if I really know how holy and mighty and awesome and fearsome He is really, if I truly know that He always fulfills His promises completely, would it not spur my heart? And create a zeal for all of these things outlined in Hebrews Would it not light a fire within me to honour his name? Of course it does. And I suspect this will be the challenge for most of us. We really need to understand the importance of the knowing. We really need to seek to comprehend through reading and praying and meditating upon his word and listening to the Holy Spirit to reveal the marvellous glories of the risen Jesus such that we can pursue the things of God, such that we can get about the doing with every fibre of our being. This is the challenge we Let me close with an example. In 1892, uh, a well-known daredevil, uh, Clifford uh, Calvary, pushed a wheelbarrow over a tightrope that stretched across the, the Niagara Falls. And after performing this feat, he turned to his audience and he said, Now that you've seen what I can do, do you believe that I can do it again? Yes, replied the excited crowd. And he said to them, OK, do you think I can do it with another person in the wheelbarrow? Yes, said the enthusiastic audience. Well then, said Clifford, who wants to climb into my wheelbarrow? Genuine New Testament faith means getting into the wheelbarrow. It's not just a question of standing by on the sidelines liberally saying I know. We need to know we need to believe and we need to do. Friends, will we get in to the wheelbarrow? Will our right knowing create a right sense of doing? Let me Close in prayer. Loving and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you first and foremost that you love us. We thank you that your love for us was such that you sent Jesus, your only begotten Son, recognizing that we needed a mediator, recognizing that. No amount of animal sacrifices or good works or things that we could do would possibly get us onto our right footing with you. And Lord, we thank you that you then sent your son, Jesus, the one able to to mediate fully on our behalf, a complete appreciation for our sins, to cover us in grace, Such mercy and such goodness you've bestowed upon us. And Lord, it is my heart's prayer that that love of you, that mightiness of you, that awesomeness of you, that understanding that you are always true to your promises, would renew in me and renew in us as we pray here a desire to go about doing the things of you, loving our neighbours, looking after our friends, being hospitable, being holy and people of integrity, praying for our leaders, praying for our brothers and sisters, giving to the poor and to the needy, honouring you in the things that we do. Lord, we pray that these would be the tangible actions that come out of listening, to Hebrews 12 and 30. Lord, may we go in peace today, knowing that we are people redeemed, bought with a price, and here to do your work. In your precious Son's name, Amen.